Welcome to ACME Talks and Live Events. You are listening to a podcast from the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. This talk has been recorded in front of a live studio audience. This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes, which may not be suitable for younger audiences. And the opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Hello, everyone. My name's Sean. I work in public programs here at ACME, and I'd like to welcome you all to Studio One this evening for another session of Live in the Studio, which is our monthly exploration of all things uh, TV-related. Uh, there are a few people that might come in a bit later. There's a, um, a big block of people that haven't shown up with their tickets. So there's... Uh, well, there's conspiracies that there's some kind of Walking Dead thing happening. So, um, <laughs> no, definitely not. The music, the music in that backdrop is creepy enough. So. <laughs> like I said, tonight um, we're we're looking at all things TV, and in particular, looking uh, examining the zombified world of The Walking Dead. Uh, now midway through airing its third season, which I'm assuming, if you're fans of the show, you're probably up to date with. Who here is up to date with episode 11 of season three? Pretty much everybody. There might be some spoilers if you haven't made it into season three yet, um, so just block your ears or something. Um, and The Walking Dead has also recently been renewed for a fourth year, promising even more undead mayhem to come. Um, so tonight we're going to be taking a look back at past seasons of the show, examining why it's become so popular and exploring some of the interesting uh, cultural issues surrounding The Walking Dead and the history of the zombie culture itself. Um, one of our panellists might even provide some tips on how to survive a zombie attack yourself, I believe. Um, speaking of tonight's panel, it's my great pleasure to welcome a killer lineup of speakers to the Studio One this evening, who include our event chair, Jess Maguire, to my left here, and also behind you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, how did you do that? I did not know that was happening. Uh, Jess is a writer and a broadcaster who formerly co-hosted Triple R's uh, Breakfast Show and can now be heard regularly on 774 ABC in Melbourne. Uh, with a stint as the editor of pop culture website Defamer Australia under her belt, she's also written for an assortment of publications, including The Daily Life, The Sunday Age, The Sun Herald, ABC's The Drum, JMAG, Time Out and Lucky Magazine. You've got the up-to-date version. I need to get that off you. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done it yet. Uh, in addition to her writer bro broadcaster duties, Jess can uh, often be found DJing around town under various awesome names, including my favourite, which is the spectacular... DJ Jess Cougar Melonguire, <laughs> um, or co-hosting the weekly rock and pop culture trivia nights at both the B East and the Corner Hotel. Now, she's also no stranger of the Live in the Studio program here at Acme and has appeared in the studio uh, talking about everything from show tunes in Glee to Lena Dunham's Girls. Uh, I've also just discovered that Jess has a bit of an enthusiasm for Here Comes Honey Boo Boo, if I'm I, correct. I do. Excellent. <gasps> Um, I'm actually trying to convince Honey Acme to let me do it. Here comes Honey <laughs> I would Live love that. I'm putting my oh. hand up. So, excellent. I'm sure we'll see more of Jess in the future then. Um, but tonight there's no toddlers or tiaras. Jess is going to be, of course, leading our exploration of The Walking Dead and will be joined by an exceptional panel uh, made up of broadcaster, writer and comedian Paul Verhoeven. You also get a photo. Oh, what? Nice. <laughs> How am I supposed to talk without a jaw? <laughs> Author of the, the Horror Sensorium, Melbourne University's Angela Dalianis. You didn't get one from me? Oh, oh, nice. And last but definitely not least, writer and comedian Luke Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> I got a jaw. Your face, 
So before I hand over to these guys, just a few spots of housekeeping. We do actually record all of our Live in the Studios for podcasts, so if you've got your phone on, just switch it off now. Um, we also, if you need to leave to go to the bathroom or for any reason, if things get too scary, um, just leave it via these doors here, uh, and uh, Egmont, our usher, will help you out. Uh, so if you'd all like to welcome the panel, I'll hand over to Jess. Sean. Uh, look, as we said, we've got a very smart and knowledgeable and opinionated and entertaining panel this evening, so I'm looking forward to finding out what they're all going to be talking about. First up is Luke Ryan. Uh, I'll give you a bit of a brief wrap of Luke's career because you've earned it. Thank you. Luke is a freelance writer and comedian who is currently working on his first book, which is tentatively uh, titled, I Guess You're Only As Sick As You Feel. And it's a comic memoir about family, growing up and having had cancer twice. This pro- and it's going to be hilarious. Yes. <laughs> he assures us it's very funny. It, it's uh, adapted from your comedy festival show, Luke's Got Cancer, another hilarious title. <laughs> Serious belly laughs, said the age. <laughs> Uh, he's also written for a number of publications, uh, including The Vine, The Age, Smith Journal, The Lifted Brow, Kill Your Darlings, and many more. And like his panel mate, Paul, is part of a sketch comedy outfit, Lords of Luxury. He also has a law degree, but would rather physically explode than use it, mm. is in his bio. So tonight, this reluctant lawyer will be talking to you about the origins of zombie uh, concept and an introductory level history of the whole genre. Mm-hmm. Over to you, Luke. Oh, right, we're getting straight into it. Hi, everybody. Um, So my... uh, There we are. A brief history of zombification from neighbourhood pest to chompy tool of the apocalypse. Done in Comic Sans, the cheeriest of all the fonts. Um, (laughs) If there is one truism to be said of all humans, it's that we really don't like dying. Like, we hate it. Most of the time we compensate with some good old-fashioned religion. The great beyond seems that much more tolerable if we're going to spend eternity feasting on milk and honey or ravishing virgins or getting ever higher scores on Miss Pac-Man, as opposed to, say, crumbling into a miscellaneous pile of dust soon to be forgotten by a grand, unfeeling cosmos. But some humans went in a slightly different direction, really embraced the whole dying thing. For instance, voodoo. It's a religion where death is the animating force of spirituality. In Haiti, the only country on earth where voodoo is the official religion, it has been variously reported that by using precise doses of a virulent neurotoxin, witch doctors at the fringes of Haitian society could essentially kill and then reanimate a human, later binding them to their own control, using the power of the person's own belief, alongside repeated doses of the zombie cucumber, Datura, which is a dissociative hallucinogen, which is, I guess, one way of having all the fun of becoming the living dead without actually needing to die. There's a photo from a 1939 Haitian artist called Zombie, which I think is the actual correct spelling. So basically, way back in the late 1920s, zombies migrated into Western popular culture as a handy way of being even more scared of black people than we already were. Which I do feel makes it kind of weird that now white shows feature white zombies fisting on disposable black characters. We'll never forget, (laughs) T-Dog. Anyway, let's get to the... <laughs> so, let's go to the beginning of zombie in film. Bela Lugosi, classic. Critically panned work, 1932 work, White Zombie, because it can happen to white people too. Um, but White Knight said this, uh, White Zombie, sorry, set a template that it took over 30 years of pop culture to properly tear away from. And as this image of the zombie as a localised voodoo pest, including in such timeless hits as Zombies on Broadway, Mm. Teenage Zombies, 
Oh, yes. Young pawns thrust into pulsating cages of horror in a sadistic experiment. Ooh. <laughs> and my personal favourite, the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies. <laughs> Coming from that weird time when promotional taglines ate movie titles. Apparently some screenings in the last one, they like pay movie employees to just run in in monster masks and scare the audience, which they called hallucinogenic hypnovision. <laughs> Perhaps unsurprisingly, in 2004, one list called this the worst film of all time. Um, but in many films, zombies, whatever the definition, in these films, zombies, whatever the definition, were the sort of phenomenon that, like many of its supernatural contemporaries, only ever really pose a threat to individuals or a small community. For instance, you rarely see vampires or werewolves out taking over the world. They're usually too busy dusting themselves in glitter and getting their shirts off the camera. <laughs> Which I do feel is a bit much coming from a vampire in lipstick. <laughs> but then George A. Romero came along, working off the original I Am Legend novel. And they re the rest, as they say, is a brutal apocalyptic history in which small pockets of humanity try and survive against an unstoppable mass of dead shambling flesh that used to be your wife and whose only ambition in life is to eat your face off while you're still alive. Come on. There we are. Oh, <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> <laughs> Too late for her. <laughs> oh. While there's no direct link between Romero's work and the Haitian zombie tradition, Romero himself didn't even use the word zombie in Night of the Living Dead, the thematic resemblance, and that is the blinding concern for the permanence of death, is obvious. Romero just escalated it a lot and brought in the world-ending connotations. What I find has been particularly interesting in the aftermath, now almost 50 years long, is how little the zombie phenomenon has evolved since Romero's opening salvo. I mean, there are a lot of zombie films, but almost none of them vary the standard formula. Dead come back to life, eat some flesh, add blood liberally, watch society crumble around your ears. However, what I think has been significant over the last decade or so is the drift away from pure shock and into the realm of the realisable. 28 Days Later, I Am Legend, the forthcoming World War Z, and even comedies like Shaun of the Dead and Zombieland. These are films that trade on the relatability of their scenario, the normalcy, the feeling that this is just a hair's breadth away from happening right here, right now. And I think part of it is that science and technology, as science and technology have improved, we've become better at conjuring understandable reasons for the onrushing catastrophe. Uh, even in his ignorance, when Dr. Jenner shows the gang a detailed MRI visualisation of the brain activity of one of the zombies, he's using the sort of technology that's only existed for like five to ten years. Magical hypothesis isn't enough anymore. Answers must be provided. Reality must cohere. And the more it drifts towards the real, the more it morphs into something we can begin to understand in everyday terms. As a particularly potent example, I direct you toward Darren Brown's recent special, Apocalypse. I'm not sure if you guys know Darren Brown. He's this UK mentalist, hypnotist type, but he's very interested in the, what we can be made to believe and how that will cause us to act. And so basically in this special, this two-part special, it's available on YouTube and I would recommend it intensely, he hypnotised a young man into believing he was one of the only survivors of a zombie virus event. There are some ethical qualms here, but it's killer television. But I just sort of thought, how identifiable must this all be to us now, that we're at a point where an event of such seeming impossibility, and one laced, as you'd see in the show, with so, so many obvious zombie narrative tropes, can nonetheless be accepted into the worldview of someone as being a possibility. Darren did have an idea behind it, and that was that 
like, you know, this guy who is a bit of a shiftless loser would learn something about the value of life. Uh, and, you know, like what, who we truly value. The scheme, like, <laughs> he really did come out the other end. And now he works with, like, he works in the community with disabled people. Like, it was a real sort of revolutionary event for him. So, you know, maybe a bit of a zombie apocalypse would be good for us all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, is where The Walking Dead arrives. <laughs> It's a TV show where realism of a sort is prioritised, but it's a TV show where that really isn't about zombies, no matter what the narrative and regular face-eating might try to suggest. What I find fascinating and useful in a narrative sense about zombies is that they can't really possess any individual personality of their own. They're ciphers, pure and simple, empty vessels of decaying, chompy flesh into which we can pour whatever it is that's terrifying us right now. Viruses, meteorites, environmental breakdown, genetic modification. They're a symptom of an anxious society, one who is convinced that the material wealth and comfort we possess right now is only a hair's breadth away from disappearing forever. And I think the locus of Western anxiety is often the suburb, and the The Walking Dead feels like a deeply suburban show, a show about the breakdown of our supposedly safe spaces. It's not the end of the world, it's the end of the world that you know, a place of intense and inescapable order which might explain why people's gardens tend to remain so well manicured. (laughs) (laughs) And from this position, I feel like the show would seem to represent a pretty... (laughs) Jim's mowers. (laughs) (laughs) The show would seem to represent a pretty conservative ideal of human existence. For instance, you just know that the Americans will have survived longer than us Australians because, hey, guns which it turns out every single person is a goddamn expert at shooting. And I played Call of Duty. Headshots in an active combat situation are about as likely as farting an enemy to death. But to, be, to be fair, you are very bad at Call of Duty. <laughs> I really am. Like Just running into a wall for ages, like shooting in the air. Oh, I'd be terrible in combat. Does, does anyone have that th- like thought watching this show? Like, if the zombie apocalypse happened, what would I do? What would my purpose in life be? I have no idea. Yes, you do. You mentioned it to me before. I'd be bait, or I was pouring water, and I said, that's a valuable skill. I could pour water for people. Anyway, that's by the by. I really worry about this sometimes. You're funny. You'd be an officer of morale. (laughs) (laughs) I would also be the first over the edge when we ran out of food. So you're dead weight. Yeah, cool. Uh, More broadly, though... There's a distinct overtone of, well, the government ain't going to help us, so it looks like we're going to have to shoot our way out of this mess ourselves. And as I think Paul is going to discuss, this show is basically a Western in many ways, and the underlying ethos of the Western is one of gruelling self-sufficiency. I mean, for a more biblical reading, you can see The Walking Dead, and even a show like Deadwood, as a parable for the fall of man and the establishment of the new world away from the Binds of Eden. And it calls for the creation of a new model of humanity, one that is brutish and short, but theirs, entirely unapologetically theirs. It's adaptability in the face of an uncaring world, individualism at its most Hobbesian extreme, guns and a family surviving alone on the prairie, mum, dad and junior shooting the shit out of some zombies. I mean, brain-dead socialists! Yes, the Tea Party would be proud. (laughs) But it's not the whole story, because Eden was order, pure and simple, the contained paradise once promised by the American suburb. And I think at the bottom of it all, that's what this show is about. It's not the breakdown of order, but rather its retention and renewal. The idea that in the construction of order, we can find our common humanity, and that when all else fails, we'll find our vindication, our reason for being, in honour, duty, loyalty and obeyance. 
God may have vanished. We may have been cast from paradise, but it's only by remembering what it means to be ruled that our souls will survive. Or to put it another way, viva la dictatorship. <laughs> yeah. And that's all I've got for the moment. Thanks for listening so much, guys. Now, uh, later on, we'll do some questions as well. So if, if everything that Luke's been saying then is sort of getting you buzzing, and I'm sure it did, hold on to it because later on you'll be able to ask him some questions about it. Now, our next speaker tonight is Angela. Angela, that's the bit that I got wrong. Do you love it? Delianus. Her surname, she was saying, will you be able to pronounce it? And I went, I'll be fine. And it's Angela, the bit that I got wrong. Angela. Uh, Angela is the Associate Professor in Cinema and Cultural Studies at Melbourne Uni and specialises in Hollywood cinema, digital media and the convergence of popular forms such as films, computer games, comic books and theme park spaces. She's currently completing a book called Spectopolis Theme Park Cultures, which looks at the historical and cultural influence of and on the theme park. Her past publications include the, the Horror Sensorium, uh, Media and the Senses, 2011's Science Fiction Experiences and Neo-Baroque Aesthetics and Contemporary Entertainment, which was in 2004. She's also the editor of a 2008 collection called The Contemporary Comic Book Superhero and has published numerous essays on a range of international journals and anthologies. Look, it, it all sounds very highbrow. I'm excited I'm about it. I'm sorry. No, 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 because in a highbrow way, we need to talk about, you know, uh, the background of the zombie genre as well, uh, the apocalypse, furthering a little bit of what Luke started talking about, and, uh, and perhaps the everyday zombie is how you worded it. So, That's right. ladies and gentlemen, Angela. Thank you. All right, here we are. As Luke mentioned, uh, the, the genre really starts to form with the release of Night of the Living Dead in 1968. Romero kind of brings the voodoo Haitian tradition in and mixes it up with the ghoul, uh, the vampire, but gives it a real kind of social, um, social emphasis that stays with the genre up until today. And in his film, there are key kind of elements that still are there today. There's uh, the total help, hopelessness of government, the military, politicians, the law. Um, either, and afterwards, after, this tradition, after his film's released, either they're shown as totally incompetent or they're just not there. It's like they've been wiped out. So the apocalyptic element becomes um, really solidified in this film. Um, the idea of the mindless zombie, but also the idea, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a second, um, the idea that you know, who are the living dead? Is it the dead who have risen, or is it the living who've survived? And this real exploration, using this kind of metaphor of the zombie, there's a real exploration in these films and the TV show of um, what is humanity when you take away our social structures, the things that civilise us and make us human. Since then, um, Romero's first trilogy, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, which followed, uh, uh, sort of solidify and sort of expand the genre. He introduces the whole idea of hillbilly zombies and um, the redneck zombie stuff in Day of the Dead, or is it Dawn of the, Dawn of the Dead? Um, and then there's a kind of crazy period where the genre goes comical and parody, which is very typical of horror in the, in the 80s. And films like Reanimator, I don't know if many of you have seen Reanimator, but they're, they're sort of basically parodies of horror and, and it does reflect what's happening in horror. Then we, um, in more recent years, in this century, we have a major boom of horror films that, primarily zombie horror films, that start to take off. And they're kickstarted by Danny Boyle's 2002 film, Day of the Dead. 
Um, and since then, there have been hundreds, literally hundreds. But what's even more interesting is that where the genre used to be very much a US kind of um, film that was you know, produced in, in Hollywood and independent areas in, in the US, it's now become a global phenomenon. Um, Latin American countries are making zombie films. Even Greece has made a few zombie, three zombie films. Um, and in, in the Greek zombie film, The, the Evil, it's called, uh, the zombie virus takes off in a, um, a soccer a soccer stadium, which I find really amusing. And they all go off to the Athenian uh, flats and the infestation takes place. But the thing is that, um, and this is, again, very typical of these films, is that they adjust themselves to the countries, and it's not going to work, the countries in which they're produced. So the Greek films very much deal with Greek politics and social issues, um, there's, you know, Serbian zombie films that deal with the Serbian sort of context. So everyone adjusts itself to contemporary political situations. Romero was very much interested in, in using the, his zombie films to talk about Vietnam, Watergate, um, and, you know, the, the sort of the, the authoritarianism, I guess, of US culture. More recent zombie films have gone in a different direction. And there's been a lot of writing about this stuff, and it's... it's pretty sort of commonly agreed that many of the new horror films, and, and within this you find the subgenre of the zombie film, they become obsessed with contemporary politics and global culture post 9-11. And in many of these films you see, that, I mean, they very much operate as kind of metaphors of um, a society that's lost all hope, it's, you know, uh, our social structures have collapsed, our, our um, authority structures have collapsed, and humans, uh, humans are sort of left to fend for themselves. And, and they explore what happens to human beings when all the rules go. Um, and often these films aren't very sort of positive about what happens. I want to show you um, the opening sequence from oops, uh, Dawn of the Dead by Zack Snyder, which was the reworking of the original um, uh, Romero Dawn of the Dead. Have many of you seen this? Yeah. yeah. So in this amazing opening um, credit sequence, uh, which was directed by Kyle Cooper, who also did Seven, and there's a whole series of, of films, is just incredible. You've got this um, weaving in of the fictional story that we're about to see with news footage that's taken directly from news footage from, um, you know, Afghanistan, uh, the military sort of taking over, people shooting people, um, Muslims praying in the churches, uh, the close-ups, the micro-close-ups of blood um, that ties it in with bio-warfare. So it really sort of wraps it all up in, into kind of um, fears, I guess, and you mentioned this, ties it into fears of our own sort of contemporary society uh, post-9-11, um, but creates a kind of zombie narrative out of it. And these films are all really obsessed with this idea of the coming of the apocalypse um, through human means, means. So often it's the military and the government and scientists who trigger this kind of... Yeah, the virus, the virus thing seems to be really huge in the contemporary, you know, the, the 21st century zombie film in particular. Now, The Walking Dead is actually really interesting in terms of where it sits within the history of the subgenre because before this, you, you've, I can't remember any example of a TV show based on a zombie scenario um, and it follows the tradition, that, I mean, the creator was sort of adamant about following Romero's tradition in particular. So you see all these social elements coming through, but here there's still no sense of 
how did this happen? So we don't know. I mean, there's a glimpse because they get infected and, and um, Rick finds out that, that it's a virus. So, you know, you've got to cut off the limb before it spreads and so on. But we still don't know what, organ what created um, the situation, what led to humans being in this state. Um, but, yeah, the social issues are there and especially it explores... The, the show uses the premise of the zombies to explore human nature. Um, and in the first season, first and second season... I love that shot. In the first and second season, um, the, I guess the nemesis that, that begins to grow into a nemesis is Shane, uh, who becomes quite sort of psychotic and diabolical. And Rick remains sort of the, the classic patriarch who's the, you know, the lawman, the Western man, um, who's just going to, you know, get it all... Come on, everybody, get it all together and, and um, we, can, we can make... We, we can get a little town built and do something good. <laughs> Um, but this season we've seen that that starts to collapse a bit as well. Uh, and, I mean, just to show, I, I just love that, that opening image, that image from um, the first episode of the first season was just phenomenal because he's just come out of the hospital and he's still, when, when he kills that zombie, um, there's still this sense that Rick doesn't get, that there's no humanity in it and that the reaching out he reads as oh, there's a remnant of human nature there. But in actual fact, the zombie's reaching out because it wants food, but he can't walk because it doesn't have a lower part of the body. The current nemesis is, of course, the governor, who I think is amazing. I love him. Um, and he, in many respects, is Rick's flip side. Um, Rick is, is having his breakdown following Laurie dying. Um, and the, I guess the, the governor is having a different kind of breakdown that sort of uh, enters the realm of a psychotic uh, megalomaniac. Um, but I think the thing with his character is it explores, you know, once human laws and rules collapse, how easy it is for a, a sort of zealot um, to take over. It's a real kind of Jim Jones character. He sets up his little town um, and he's going to, you know, be the leader no matter what. Um, and then you've got all the little psychotic revelations of, you know, the zombie heads in the the goldfish bowls and the zombie daughter that whose hair she, he combs. Lovely, just, just delightful kind of stuff. But I think it's sort of been quite interesting. I thought what I'd do for the, the rest of my bit is talk a little bit about um, what's happened more recently in terms of the zombie as a, an image, an icon, whatever you want to call it, entering our everyday environment. So moving beyond the screens of film and television and even computer games and comic books, which you see here because, of course, the series is based on the Kirkman comic book, um, and entering our lives in quite crazy ways. Uh, there's, I just thought I'd show you an example. of This is the moving... Uh, what do they call them? The moving comic something. Not comic game. Really, but yeah. yeah, but the, there's some term they use. It's like the... Moving comical, anyway, right. yeah. But it's a great game for the iPad. Just thought I'd mention that. This, does anyone know what this is? Um, Hyundai is releasing their new, um, some new car, right? I can't remember which <laughs> model. available at my local dealership? Well, I'll tell you, you can actually, you have a chance of owning this. <laughs> they, they approached Kirkman to design um, a zombie Hyundai car. That's like a cow catcher for zombies. Yeah. No, but the spikes are stupid because they get caught. What you want is like a smooth surface. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> flipping them. Are you allowed to drive? No, but you're actually flitting, you're actually sort of carving them up so the body would come apart though. Yeah. Shred. You think? I don't know. If you're just tossing them off, I've they're hit just a lot of animals on again. my Hyundai. And... Oh, I don't know. 
<laughs> anyway, this has been designed and it's being built by Hyundai and it's going to be wrapped in the 100-issue comic of The Walking Dead and you can enter the competition through HyundaiUndead.com. You're in the um, pocket of big Hyundai. <laughs> I actually own a Hyundai. <laughs> And it's being given away. The winner's going to be announced at the next Comic-Con in San Diego. There you go. And yet poor people in Africa are starving. So it's good <laughs> exactly. that we It all Yay. balances out in the end, doesn't it? They wouldn't be starving yeah. if they could drive that through a herd of wildebeest. <laughs> of course, most of you know about the famous zombie shuffles, which are happening all over the world. The first one was in 2001 in Sacramento in California. And since then, I think there were only you know, a handful of people who went and everyone went, ha-ha, you're crazy lunatic people dressed up as zombies. Um, but lately, it's, I mean, it's happening in cities all over the world now, and Melbourne had about five or 6,000, I think, last year. Um, Brisbane has beat us. They had about 12,000. There's not much else on in Brisbane, though. No. Well, somebody, somebody said to me that maybe it was the locals. <laughs> it may have been me, actually. <laughs> um, and in Buenos Aires last year, 25,000 people. And you sort of, I, why I'm fascinated with this stuff, I keep asking why. Why are we so obsessed with the zombie in, in the last decade especially? It's sort of become part of mainstream culture. Even people who would never watch a horror film watch Walking Dead. Mm. You know, I went for acupuncture and there's this, my nice acupuncturist going, Walking Dead and I can't wait for the new season and, you know, she's never seen horror films. Mm. You don't want her wielding one of those. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Do you recognise any faces there, people? <laughs> That would be me with the glasses on. <laughs> That's from last year's shuffle. I didn't need to doctor your photo at all. You didn't. You didn't at all, no. Then there's Planet Zero. Has anyone been on the Planet Zero? I wish. Somebody. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> They're touring Australia. They'll probably come yeah. back now. They'll probably come back. Uh, Planet Zero, for those of you who don't know, these guys had this great idea about doing a kind of live-action... Um, well, a version of a video, a zombie video game, but in an actual environment. And they've got some place up in broad meadows, and you see what it looks like down the bottom there. And you're chased by actors dressed as zombies, and you're given the weapons and, and the full thing, and you go in in teams of six. Um, and basically, you're chased by zombies for two hours and have to survive. But apparently, like, apparently, they do it properly, like with a full narrative, and they make you go through different points where you have to make crazy ethical decisions. Like, if you're the captain, it's like, do you leave people behind? <laughs> Who do you sacrifice? And all these kind of things. And you've got to find thing. stuff, like you do in the mm. games. You've got to sort of find ammunition mm. and all sorts of things. They do nerf versions of this all over the place. Like, Sydney <laughs> Uni recently had humans versus zombies, exactly the same Really? Scenario, with ammunition drops and like safe zones, and then infections will break out at different points. And they took over the university radio. Radio station, and it was like um, Apocalypse wow. Radio, so they would tell you where to be next. Yeah, oh, good. nice. Yeah. So they yeah. were thinking zombies. Yeah, although I, apparently a few people got pistol whipped with milk guns. Because <laughs> <laughs> if someone jumps at you in makeup, your first instinct is to break their jaw. So. Yeah. I actually did that to an alien once in Alien War, similar kind of thing, but the alien came at me and I kept thinking, one part of my brain was saying, it's not real, it's not real, and another part of my brain was saying, it's going to spray acid in your face. And I grabbed the person <laughs> and threw him against a wall. This is in London at the Trocadero Club. But that's another story. <laughs> wow. I'm going to hang out with you more often. I'm going to roast you at the Trocadero Club. Oh, my God. Oh, All right, I'll skip the other one. Um, just to, to emphasise this, um, the way it's become part of our mainstream culture, this is Julia Gillard announcing in a kind of spoof way for Triple J, the 
coming of the apocalypse, yeah, the Mayan apocalypse that was supposed to happen end of last year. I thought it was pretty cool that she did that. Of course, the remember the horrendous situation of the guy on the drugs who ate the the poor homeless person's face and was shot. And then I, I became obsessed with the newspaper stories. They were trying to create this, you know, the zombies have come. We are in a zombie apocalypse. And uh, journalists in the US were desperately trying to find any other parallel situation. They found at least another six kind of scenarios. Um, and they were trying to accumulate the evidence for the zombie apocalypse coming. Of course, it didn't. At, in the US, at the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention, um, which is a US government site, they introduced this website, which is still there and functional, and they thought, the government thought, let's tap into the zombie obsession of today and get people who are already in a state of um, hysteria <coughs> about something, you know, disastrous is going to happen to our country, to get them prepared for, you know, if it happens, what do you do? So they used the zombie um, sort of story to inform people about what to do in a state of crisis. It's crazy. That site's absolutely cuckoo. In the States, you can also go to zombie stores, which this one is in Las Vegas and it's more um, targeted towards zombie fans. So you can go in and get sort of zombie outfits and um, zombie weaponry and fake teeth and fake blood and zombie masks and so on and so on, the zombie films galore. But this one is not. Uh, This is Zero, Zombie Extermination Research and Operations Kit, and it's sold by Optics Planet. Which, at first I thought, you know, is this another zombie sort of you know, fan who set up a shop? But no, it's classic, full-on army gear with this zombie kit, which costs $24,000, I might add. Um, you can get, uh, aside from your sort of survivor packs, you can get um, rifles, shotguns, uh, sh- um, what do you call it, shot- uh, shotgun, rifle... A knife. Does, does the man come with it? The man. <laughs> no, that's a mask. That's oh, a gas mask. I thought you just came with like a man with guns. That's way more useful. <laughs> that, that would be and even no better. That would yeah. be even better, actually. Uh, there's a, a hologram thing so you can target your victims better. Um, there's even uh, a beaker and um, a, a sort of microscope so that if you, if you find out that it is a virus that's spreading the zombie um, thing... <laughs> then you can examine the virus. So if you've got the like scientists me, in the with group... with a microscope when I was a kid, just, yep, that's something. And, like, got the news, <laughs> and you can come up with the cure. It's covered it all, I'm I, telling I just, you. I just like the copy as well. Those you were once closest to now hunger for your flesh and possibly the Mexican food you had for dinner. That's right. There's no room for ever when dealing with the undead. No. So it's basically a way food. of selling all of their uh, military um, stuff. But my favourite... And I'm nearly finished. My favourite is this. This is Z-World Detroit. Now, the city of Detroit, as many of you would know, is most of it sort of abandoned and run down. And there are whole areas at the moment who the the, uh, mayor of of Detroit is saying they're just going to close them off and they're just going to become totally derelict. And what this guy's thinking is, hey, let's do something for our city. So what he's thinking of doing is building a zombie theme park and they're going to enclose a whole neighbourhood and what, they'll, what they're going to do is, you know, there'll be, you can sort of see the parking area and they've already mapped it out and they're trying to get money for it. Um, and what they're going to do is people will be able to go in and you're let loose as a human being. 
um, and you, they haven't worked out how many hours you've got, but basically you've got to, you've got no weapons, so you have to use human ingenuity. You've got to find food. You've got to find somewhere to, um, to bunker down. That sounds, sounds like a strange wonderland. No, it sounds, <laughs> like, it sounds like Detroit right now. It does, actually. It really does. But it would be the community coming together as opposed to... Um, anyway, when, when you succeed and you've closed yourself off and you've got a house and you've got your food and everything... You're rewarded by being allowed to become a zombie. So they've got zombie actors, but then in the game, in, in the space, you actually can then become a zombie and then chase around the next people coming through. So presumably you can pay for days of this thing. If you're killed by the zombies, you're out of the game, thrown out of the theme park. So that, that's, that's about, you know, I suppose serves you right, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and this just reminded me, when um, The Walking Dead was released, this... Sort of, you were talking about that um, fine line. These films really present as, present themselves as if it could happen at any yeah. minute. This is part of our reality. When I was I was in the US two years ago, just before season two was released, mm. and I was it was about two o'clock in the morning, and I had the telly on, and I was trying to sleep, and then I heard this, and I look up and I look at the television, and some show was on, but underneath there was like an announcement. And it was just running, scrolling across the screen saying, if you're reading this, you're one of the few survivors. Um, people, uh, most of the population has been infected by a virus. Um, tune in at... And it was the, the first episode of Walking Dead. Awesome. So it was presented as this kind of... It's happening yeah. now. Real kind of, um, you know, Orson Welles, War of the Worlds mm. kind of stuff. I'd love to know how many people fell for it. <laughs> There's a way to find Whereas out. I was like, yes, this is great. Bring it. I've been training for this all my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got my $24,000 kit with yeah. half a man. <laughs> Pushing him down thought... the stairs. Like, quick distraction. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I'd just end with, Don't I want this bed spread. <laughs> Who's up for romance? <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Wow. Jeez. And that's it, everybody. Wow. Wow, there are a lot of things that I want to ask you I'm going to have to hold on and say for a little bit later. Could we have one uh, more panellist to speak? This is Paul Verhoeven. Uh, he is a broadcaster, writer, blogger and comedian who can currently be seen as the host of ABC3's Steampunks show, where you were just described in a review as like the ABC's cross between Basil Fawlty and what was... Oliver Reed and Johnny Depp. Ooh. That is an intoxicating combination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Got a lot yeah. to live up to, Verhoeven. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he also co-writes that show. He's presented the Nerdy by Nature segment of Triple J's Breakfast Show since 2008, and he writes for Triple J magazine. And in addition to that, he's also a writer and artist of a weekly webcomic called Lessons for Children. That got cancelled, and rightfully so. <laughs> Let me just update this. Yes. Okay. He's a, a gaming reviewer and film critic for The Vine. Mm-hmm. Great. And, and he was the second runner-up of Clio's 2011 Bachelor of the Year competition, Ooh. which is obviously the highlight so far of a very versatile and high-achieving career in entertainment. I thanked Albus Dumbledore when I got that. Did you? Yeah. Oh. They did not understand. They did not get that reference. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, Paul is going to be talking tonight about the logistics of actually killing a zombie, uh, his favourite character, and looking at the show from the perspective of it being a bit of a Western. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul. Um, first up, uh, it's worth noting that the showrunners have said that The Walking Dead, in the universe of The Walking Dead, there is no such thing as zombie fiction. 
which means that when the zombie apocalypse hit, these people had no, like... You know in Scream, the Scream movies where Randy, the guy at the video store, he's like, well, this is how our horror film works, and then he gets killed. Spoilers. Um, There's no one like that in The Walking Dead. Occasionally, I think in season three or two or three, there's a survivalist living in the woods who somehow still doesn't know about the zombies. But barring that, like, no one knows what is going on. Um, Whereas we have this gorgeous wealth of, if this ever happened, I would do this. For example, when I entered Acme today because I've been watching a lot of Walking Dead, I did that thing where I'm like, you know, this building would be terribly undefensible. <laughs> glass doors. You went to places, you went to hardware stores, and you're like, this is the first place I'd come. <laughs> uh, which is better in America, because Walmart sells guns. So you can just, like, loot somewhere and get a gun. Whereas here, your best place is Bunnings Warehouse. Um, which but, sells guns. Which I sells... Does it really? <laughs> no. Oh, thank they God. They sell everything. Thank God. Um, but the first thing I did when I was prepping for this was call my dad. Um, I love my dad. He's a good dad. But he was also in forensics for nine years, and he worked in violent crimes. Um, so I called him up very awkwardly and said, Dad, um, if I had to kill someone and I had to break through the skull to get to the brain, what's the best way to do that? And after some back and forth, we established I was talking about zombies. Um, now, putting aside for a minute the, the supposition that zombie skulls are somehow more brittle than regular skulls, which there is no evidence to support at all. Um, oh, I don't know. I there, don't. No, there, there, there isn't, unless it's a body coming out of the ground that's been dead for quite a while. Um, my dad started walking me through things. And this is going to get pretty graphic, because he actually got down into his case files and got really detailed. So this is actual murder we're talking about. <laughs> actual bodies, actual ways to kill actual people. I spit when I hear gross things. Really? I just feel like there's just going to be a, pu- a puddle there. Just you start goes. drinking water so you can spray yes. it emphatically. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Um, so, so, first thing he told me was about a case where um, a dude killed his father, who was an old man, uh, with his father's bayonet. Now, typically speaking, if you're going to kill a zombie... Now, just parenthetically, I should add, I'm not saying zombies are real, but if they are real, you're going to have to kill one. Or, ideally, several. And make sure there's cameramen around so it looks cool. But a bayonet apparently went through this old guy's skull really easily and punctured the brain. Apparently, it was deceptively easy to get in. But I think that is a one-off. My dad said the best way to get to someone's brain is with a ball-pain hammer, which is a very, very common implement... Uh, it's basically one of those slightly oversized hammer with a round end on the other side. It's not a claw hammer, it's a ball pain hammer. And what you do is you smack them right on the fontanelle. Uh, my dad went to a... I'm saying my dad a lot. <laughs> Just to humanize... My dad was a cop! My dad was an astronaut! Um, he was also a fireman, My dad knows how to kill a man. Yeah, my dad can kill a man. <laughs> okay, so basically what happens is he walks into this room and a dude has had his head smashed in with a ball pain hammer. First thing they noticed was an abundance of brains all over the room. And I mean all over the room, because the head is like, it's slightly pressurised. How are we going over there, Jess? <laughs> you okay? I'm having a great time. The thing is, you guys are watching violence all the time. Like, this shouldn't freak you out. I've also pe- watched what they eat on Here Comes Honey Boo Boo, so I'm yeah. actually, I'm uh, fine. How good would Zombie Honey Boo Boo be? That would be the best. Could you kill her? Okay, good. Good, you're ready. Uh, so apparently the, the brain casing is actually slightly pressurised inside, which means the first thing that happens is you hit with the ball, uh, with the ball pane hammer, it punctures the skull, and the pressure sends brain spraying out around the weapon, which means the first thing that happens as a killer is that you are going to be covered in brain. There's that. Then eventually, you get, he, the guy in this case had to hit two or three more times, and uh, this, was not, this was not fun. But the brain has nowhere to go because it literally tries to exit the second you hit... So this is making me feel sick. Um, uh, uh, 
My dad also said a lot of people going through the skull would be a good idea. Is this, I know that he was a cop, but there's just no way of hearing this that doesn't make him sound like a serial killer. <laughs> I should point out. Yeah. Your dad, Dexter, Me or and my dad. I was going to say it'd be a great crossover, Dexter on The Walking Dead. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's certain people that would survive those scenarios more than others. Did that land in your pile of spit? No. Okay. Um, uh, now, another thing that uh, he suggested to do when he knew that I was talking about zombies, he said, just wait them out. Just let them starve to death, which hasn't been brought up mm. yet. In uh, 28 Days Later, spoilers, um, the, the apocalypse ends because they ran out of food. 28 days is how long it takes for a zombie to starve. Now, even if it's necrotic flesh, there is no logical reason that the zombie could just live forever without eating anything, which mm. just means they just haven't run out of food yet. That's back on topic, back mm. to the grizzly stuff. Here is a big do not. My dad, I, I suggested, um, why don't you just like burn them? Why don't you burn zombies, right? You get just get spray fire at them. He said, first of all, um, you would then have zombies running at you on fire. <laughs> and I said, wouldn't, wouldn't it cook the brain? And he told me, one of the worst things my dad's ever told me. They get a call. Uh, I, I, I want to know what else is in this list. Near it's here. pretty intense. They get a call, rock up in this house, and it's filled with legit um, witch paraphernalia. There's a terrible smell. There's no light. My dad enters the bathroom in this in this suburban house. This is in Melbourne, right? No, this is Sydney. back in Sydney. This is Sydney. North Sydney. Oh, about, about 15, and 20 years ago. Classic Sydney. Yeah, yeah. yeah it Typical. is classic Sydney. How oh, crap, Sydney. <laughs> um, so he gets in, and there is what appears to be melted skin on the floor and the walls. Ooh. And there's these, like... You know in Hiroshima, when people would be standing oh. near walls, and there would be, like, silhouettes of them against oh. the walls? There's those all over the house. And the bathtub is full of blood. Now, my dad then backtracks with his partner at the time, um, his friend Mark. He gets to the hospital. What's happened is this woman uh, was convinced she was a witch. And so she thought the best way to kill a witch is with fire, right? So she sets herself on fire. Um, because she's mad, and uh, she then runs around the house, and her, she's actually melting. Uh, and so she runs into the bath to put herself out and then tries to, um, to, to, to cut her wrists. But because she's in such a frenzy, she's just soaring through her wrists and nothing's happening. What a so loser. then, what this is where it gets messed up. Then she gets <laughs> this is where it gets messed up. Yeah. So then she gets into her car, and she's got like lamb's wool kind of seat covers. She gets into her car, drives for an hour to the hospital. Oh. Gets to the hospital, and she's in intensive care at this point, and my dad is sitting there with her, and the last thing he says to her as she passes away in front of him was, I've been cleansed. She looks dead in the eye. Then they saw the, the head open. Uh, as part of the autopsy, so my dad's down in the in, in like she's on a gurney. They saw her head open. The brain is spotless. She had been cooking in her own oh. juices for an hour, and nothing happened to the brain. Mm. So let that be a lesson to you who are going to use fire on zombies. Is, <laughs> dad, is your dad okay? He's fine. <laughs> was, there, was there a lot of weeping during this conversation? Or? It's weird. Is he, he then quit the force and legitimately became a fireman for eleven years. Mm. Maybe to stop. She obviously like influenced him. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, and and. Um, there's another case. Oh, good. I don't know if I need to go into this. Uh, in Bagala, a woman uh, set herself on fire, and then she, again, melted again. The brain was totally fine. The point is fire cannot affect the brain in any way. Um, another thing. Have, <laughs> this, is, this is something I learned independently. If you have to kill a zombie and you've got a choice between a man and a woman, and your job is to puncture the skull, go for the men, because women have statistically thicker skulls. We're talking like a millimetre, right. two millimetres and a half, which could mean the big difference. But like, uh, typically you don't have a choice, so just kill whatever. Um, that was really dark. <laughs> and I can tell everyone's feeling a bit, bit upset. So, <laughs> who are you? Here's what I'm... Your friend, Paul. Ah! Ah! Uh, so, I'm going to now uh, lighten things up a bit by uh, doing a bit of a love letter towards our favourite character in The Walking Dead, Andrea. 
kidding. Uh, <laughs> no one likes Andrea. <laughs> and rightfully so. No, Ask no, no. who likes Andrea and then we'll fix them up. <laughs> You're allowed to like her, but we will judge you silently. Uh, so, this is a love letter um, to, uh, to, 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 to Daryl Dixon. Uh, can we pop up the screens? The, the, there we go. There we go. Oh, oh, it's like I can't remember that image of that witch burning to death anymore. Well, there she is in the corner, and she's fine. Uh, by the way, I, I, by the power of Daryl's love, I did this. I did this in paintbrush because I'm all about the tech. Um, now, I love Daryl for so many reasons. So look at that face. Look at that sweet weaselly face. Um, Daryl is... Uh, I love Daryl because I'm going to talk about this in a bit. I love westerns. But the thing about a western is the man with no name, and he's usually a man, unfortunately, typically wanders into town and you don't get a glimpse as to why he's so noble and pure and silent and strong. You don't get that. Whereas here, we watch the formation of this character in the first two seasons because by, by season three, he's literally wearing a poncho saving people's lives. Like, he is the man with no name in every possible way. And we get this really privileged glimpse into how a hero is born. And a hero was not born from like, just being utterly pure, as we've discovered with Rick. What you have to do is you have to start as a bastard if you want to be a really cool hero. It's what I call the Malcolm Reynolds or Han Solo ratio of good to bad. <laughs> it's, chaotic, it's effectively chaotic good in Dungeons & Dragons terms. It's, it's two-thirds bad, one-third good, all the other way around. In his case, it's, it's kind of a bit of both. Um, so um, he doesn't... He kind of claws little bits of goodness. Like, he, he goes and jumps and starts, and he goes back and he goes forward a bit. That scene where he gives the flower to Carol, Aww. sweet Jesus. Aww. My ovaries, boom. <laughs> um, uh, look, look, he is just this, like, paragon of, Jesus hey. Christ! Look at, the, look at that neckline. <laughs> Also, also, there is something so gorgeously medieval about a crossbow, and yeah. it's just, he's just perfect. And look, also, he looks like a giant walking away from a city he just yeah. crushed. <laughs> oh, I'd let him ravage my skyline any day. Um, now, now, here we go. I also briefly touched on, wish I touched on, uh, the poncho. That, that photo is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. It is bad. It's amazing. It's That's amazing. And also they're releasing an action figure, like a really good likeness action figure of him in the poncho. And you can have the poncho down, or you can sling it up and have a bit of a... Oh, I just want just to lick him. So, um, he does follow a tradition of uh, other fine poncho-wearing fellows. We've got uh, the man with no name. Uh, that's that's the classic style. Also, nice sheepskin vest, Clint. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we've got uh, your mariachi band. <laughs> a bit of poncho there. But of course, you've also got the classic Vince Noir. <laughs> yeah. It is impossible to be unhappy in a poncho, which is why Daryl takes it off, because he has to stay mean, to stay strong. Um, and I would like to touch on Daryl's most uh, endearing quality, and that is his arms! <laughs> oh, my God! Like what? Because the thing is, there's a point. There's a scene in season two uh, where he falls down a ditch and rips his sleeves off. At that point, oh my! My manhood woke up, and it was just glorious. And what I appear to have done is because I did this. I did prepare for this very late a few days ago. Uh, I was quite tired, and I've just done this. <laughs> also, check out the detail on that crossbow. Has he carved that himself? He's an artist as well. Uh, and uh, is that? Yep. There's more. Oh, yeah. mm. Pew pew. Pew pew. Mm, which guns do we need in the apocalypse? <laughs> uh, but I think, I think the, 
I really, really got carried away here. <laughs> um, this is way better than before, though, when it was all really violent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, hey, anyone remember Darryl five here? minutes ago? I don't. <laughs> I'm nothing. Yeah, he's ultimately anaesthetic. But the reason, look, the reason, one of the reasons we like him is because, let's be honest, like, he is really nice eventually. And you know when a bastard is nice even slightly and you just notice it all the more? Like, if someone is nice all the time, it just deadens you to the niceties. But in a post apocalyptic landscape, the value of the currency of Daryl's niceness is really needed to kind of drain the emotional venom from the show. The thing is, it's just like... And then everyone starts calling him, and I was like, you hear what Daryl called him? Like, they start to like him. They hated him in the beginning. It's just like... There was a meme which I should have put in my stupid slideshow, uh, which says everybody makes fun of the crazy redneck until the zombie apocalypse. Uh, and that's really apt. And it's really interesting watching um, the two brothers play with each other, especially lately with Merle and his awesome evil dead tribute hand thing. Um, <laughs> it's just it's really exhilarating. Also, um, one of the other reasons I like him is he's polite. He's really friggin' polite when it's necessary. But also the yes ma'am and the like, he's just, he's just a gentleman. And you know what's great about it? He wasn't raised that way. Like, he earned that shit. He, he was raised, he was effectively raised either in the wilderness or by an abusive mum who set herself on fire by falling asleep in bed smoking or by Merle. So where did he get this from? I'll tell you where he got it from. He's a sweet angel sent from heaven. <laughs> but then you've got people like Andrea who were raised in this rarefied environment, raised with their family around and are talking openly about their parents and their healthy upbringing. They're the ones who end up screwed up. Mm. Also, Rick Tatership, you fear and respect Rick. <laughs> I have nothing but respect for Rick. Um, so, The Walking Dead is a Western. This is my main conclusion. I'm going to wrap up now. Um, Basically, uh, Daryl is the lone wanderer who comes into town with the checkered past. Uh, or if you like Rio Bravo, he's the town drunk who gradually redeems himself because he's got mad skills. Then you've got Rick. Can't who is sing, the kind of, though. He can't, can't sing? sing. Okay. I've never heard him sing. Well, that doesn't mean he can't. Uh, it's true. <laughs> true. <laughs> it's not a show known for its musical numbers. <laughs> it's true. Although there has been well, a lot of singing lately. Know, yeah, true. yeah. Um, and then you've got, of course, like all, all, the, all the key Western tropes. You've got, um, now in season three, you've got. Two opposing sheriffs, both with different ideologies. You've got uh, long shots of streets. You've got shootouts. Mm. There was a saloon fight in season two. Remember at the end, that amazing scene where uh, what's-his-face got shot by who's his name? Mm. Um, And, (laughs) uh, look, also season two. I would like to just go to the bat for season two. Really hard. Because season one was effectively a great setup. Season two was all about the westerns. You had a farmstead, you had horses, you had Daryl and a poncho. It, it was just, a, there was a barn. Full of was, zombies. There, mm. Yeah, but there were zombies. But like you said, the zombies <laughs> have almost become just a means to force humans to interact in increasingly hostile ways. Especially when you see them f- like, like herding, like animals. Like they're, they're just background noise now. Mm. Now it's about two groups of people wanting to kill each other, which is why I think the show is so deep for compelling. Mm. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing where the show goes. Uh, I'm sorry for upsetting you all with images of the stuff my dad saw. Um, <laughs> and thank you for putting up with all the Daryl stuff. So that's, that's it. I was particularly insightful about Daryl's arms. And I'm going to ask you guys a couple of questions about the show now. And then we'll sort of spin off to the audience. But um, first of all, did any of you guys read the comic book originally? I've read a bit. I've read a bit. Yeah, yeah, you have. You have. You haven't. And have, is anyone here a fan of the comic book beforehand? So, because it's, it's really interesting to me that how many people sort of, are, as you said before, are, are not very familiar with the zombie genre. And I'd probably be one, one of them, mm. but really fell in love with the show when mm. it happened. And what, what, what do you think? Is it the universality of, of, I guess, society as we know it falling apart? Is, is it part to do with 
the global financial crisis and the feeling like everything that we know is is crumbling, particularly in the States? Well, I'd like to think it's partly because shows like Battlestar Galactica and Game of Thrones have mm. proved that you can have a show that is a genre piece, but it's less about the genre mm. and more about the human drama. Like BSG mm. is a political thriller slash human character study that just happens to be set in space and have Trisha Health in it. Oh. Mm. And then you've got... Uh, uh, Game of Thrones, which is like a you know like all about political intrigue, but yeah. it's set in that setting. Walking Dead is a character study, just just happens to have zombies. I think mm. maybe. Mm. Yeah, no, I generally agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you, uh, you gonna say something? No, no, you go. Oh, come on, stop! I I think it's got to do. It's got the two key ingredients. It's got fe- the dead and our fear of the dead. So it you know, gets to a real fundamental kind of human anxiety that we're all going to die mm. and the other thing it amplifies that by making it the apocalypse mm. so the death of the entire humanity mm. and humans have imagined their own destruction from the word dot you mm. know since we could think um there are stories about it going back thousands of years and i think this really sort of hits a raw nerve mm. for, for our culture yeah i think uh, that's the thing i just do find it like deeply fascinating the ideas of like yeah, just that morbid fascination of how could we end and what would happen at the end. There's another like um, interesting show called The Colony. I don't know if any of you have watched it. It's sort of done as a reality TV show, but it's a reality TV show without um, prizes or anything like that. Um, it has the same sort of hyperbolic style, but the like uh, plot is basically they just get this group of people all who have different skills and then keep them awake for like 50 hours and then feed them into this like huge area and just basically create a post-apocalyptic scenario for mm. them like they have like have them raid a supermarket and they have all these people steal their stuff and then they put them into this warehouse like just direct them along and they just have no real contact with the outside world for you know the extent of this experiment but it's just again this fascinating human drama of how these different personalities interact as they're trying to get food and water and get electricity up and all these kind mm. of things but it's just so compelling yeah to see how people actually interact in these moments now, can I ask about the series um you just said before that you were going into bat for season two because mm. do you feel that there was maybe a little bit of criticism directed at that season oh, I know there was yeah I mean I'm sure people here have issues I see some nodding well, 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 <laughs> well what I would like to ask for each of you is is which is your favorite season and which is your least favorite season of the, th- of the three seasons and and why that is mm. <laughs> oh we don't yeah, want yeah, more time to oh, think you <laughs> can keep breathing Angela um for me it's season three I think it's sort of up the ante and there was something, I mean, I thought season two was a bit slow to start yeah. with and there was too much focus on the relationships between people I wasn't really interested in. Yeah. Do you think it can, so, it can be hard for a television show when it becomes so stationary, when, there's, mm. when I guess with the zombie show you expect there to be a lot of action and I kind of enjoyed very much yeah. season one, like yeah. that, that journey and, the, and yeah. going and, yeah. and every time they, they sort of seem stuck in a, mm. in a position and I get that logically you would try and find a yeah. place and make it a base... But as far as television goes, I really want kind of more action. Yeah. When they're stuck at the farm or stuck in the prison, I just go, oh. And I think that was, yeah, that was a real, was probably it was a real come down from like the first season, which was almost like a six-episode pilot. It felt yeah. like that was just this kinetic, non-stop rush, and then they hit the farm and it stopped. And suddenly, yeah, it was like they kind of realised, well, we've got a show now. We need to establish some characters if we want this to go mm. on for, you know, four, five, six more seasons. Mm. But I do have the same sort of problem, and I had the same problem with Battlestar Galactica, whereas, like, I loved a lot of it. I just didn't really care about the characters that much, and then they have stationary moments and these stationary episodes where people were just chatting, and I just... We have almost come to blows. We yeah, were on we really... I, almost, I almost hit my good friend in the face. <laughs> <laughs> we, the shows are like religion now. You get really 
really vehement. It's important mm. to have very strong opinions about things like television. Yeah. But I thought, I, th- I honestly think season two was like, I didn't know who these people were until, you know what I don't like across any of the show? What? In fact, the moment I liked the least was at the end of episode one, a uniformly excellent pilot, except for this moment. You cut to the camp, and then you see Shane kissing... Um, uh, Laurie. 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 And I was like, oh, it's going to have this in it. Like, I didn't care at that point. So whenever the soapy <laughs> stuff came up, mm. I got a bit irritated. The human drama. The human mm. drama. But season two, for some reason, I was like, I need to know who these people are. If I'm going to hate them properly, I need to know why. <laughs> Did you find with, with the, the Rick, Laurie, Shane triangle... Mm. For my money, it felt really weird in season three that Rick suddenly had this massive issue with Laurie, given that he seemed to fight for her to really reassure her that no hard feelings, that you've, you slept with Shane, you thought I was dead, I get it. If the baby's, if the baby's mine or his, it doesn't matter, we're a family. No, because like- no, that's not why it happened. It happened because at the end, he went out into the field and everyone basically ostracised him after saving their lives for, for killing Shane. And they're mm. like, how dare you kill Shane? And that's when he snapped. And then six months of that sitting on top of them. But open. he snapped at Laurie. I feel like he was really pissed off at mm. Laurie about the whole Shane that's, thing with yeah. the baby. And I've said and I don't it, blame people for stuff before and lied to their faces. Yeah. And then to have to like see them every single day in a stressful situation would just make it fester. And speaking of festering and Rick being in a stressful situation, have you found the, the fact that Rick... Is, is now in the midst of some kind of breakdown. Very believable. Did it happen? Do you, do you think it played out in a believable way? And obviously, it's a stressful time, a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. But, but again, the way that it sort of happened in the show, did it, did it ring true for you? I think it, I mean, for me it did because, one, you had that time gap between season two and three mm. in the sense of time within the show. Yeah. So the characters come back and they've progressed and they're all sort of major, you know, master zombie killers and everything. Mm. And there's the relationship stuff with Laurie that's gotten nastier. Mm. Um, so it's the build-up of he's killed his best friend, yeah. you know, the stuff with the wife. Um, and then it's all, you know, snap when, um, when with the stuff with the baby. Mm. And he just sort of loses it. And he's, I think his character's been amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's a, a nice relief from... Um, the, you know, the Mr. Patriarch is always in control, yeah. I'm going to mm. do this and get it done. Yeah, and I think it's like, yeah, the loneliness and peril of power. I mean, I was talking a little bit about like, trying to, you know, about the show being about trying to reclaim a sense of order, but it's also about, you know, like how many flawed models of it there are. And, you know, just when he had so much authority, mm. I just sort of like ate away at him and he started to kind of, you know, lose his humanity in its own way. So, yeah, I think, you know, this sort of path towards breakdown is reasonably mm. well traversed. I like that he's gone on kind of a spirit walk. It's got a real... Mm. Like he's just literally just walking, mm. walking around outside, sweating profusely, yeah. talking about stuff and things. Um, <laughs> but it's got this, it's got this really nice Zen quality. Whereas he's he's putting himself away from the others so as not to damage them. Whereas the governor is riling shit up. Like that mm. parallel is very mm. important. I don't think it's accidental. Mm. Um, I also like that in the most recent episodes, he has listened to his son, who has said, "I think you should step down and." Um, you know, give leadership to Daryl and um, and who else was it? It was oh, Herschel. Yeah, thanks. Um, but but and then, and then he's actually done it, and he's actually taken someone's advice. Mm. It's like they're they're two very kind of different leaders. But I I really hope he doesn't go totally mad and they have to put him down. That's put him I'm down. That's what we live in now. We just put anyone down. Yeah. Well, speaking of putting people down as well, my my next question would be. Which of the characters that, it, that has died over the three series would you have loved to have, have stayed in the game? Shane. Shane? Well, I mean, he had to die. Yeah. And, that, and his death was good in terms of it was good. Not, it wasn't happy. 
I mean, it was well, it was it was good storytelling. And when it happened, you were like, about time. And then you're like, oh damn it, he was actually really good with a gun. But I mean, if he redeemed, <laughs> but like I, like I said, I like a redeemed kind of character. Yeah. So if he'd somehow redeemed himself, that's what I'm expecting from Merle eventually. Frankly, you think that Merle can redeem himself? Shit, yeah. Uh, look what they've done with Daryl. <laughs> yeah, I think Mills is still a different kind of yeah, fish. Yeah, Which totally. character would you bring back, Andrew? I'd want Shane to come back because I loved his psychoticness, mm. but I'd want him to come back as a zombie and to have, for some reason, genetic reason, whatever reason, oh, like- to have some glimmer of human intelligence, mm. sort of like the zombie in Land of the Dead, mm. and then he comes back and well, he organises like the zombie like hordes. in the next generation where they have to teach him how to be human and shit. <laughs> <laughs> No? Luke? I, like, I'm also, Shane. I'm also on the Shane bandwagon. Everyone. I just think it's like, it's Shane Shane. such an interesting sort of dynamic. And he obviously had so much, I mean, they'd invested so much in him, so he felt like he had the re- and so much investment in his, like, you know, turn towards the dark side that it really felt like there was Even a lot to off, be, you know? yeah, a lot to be gotten from, like, how he might kind of welcome back into the fold. Like, mm. yeah, I don't know. It had a real kind of redemption arc going there that I thought, well, you know, a possibility of redemption. Now, the differences between the comic book and and the television show, obviously when you've got a source material that you're using for a television show, I guess there comes a point where you have to decide whether to be true to the original source or to be true to good television, which can sometimes be a very different yeah. different thing. There have been some differences in the comic book to the show. Like for instance, Dale, I, I only just found this out recently, that Dale and Andrea in the comic book have a relationship, which kind of would explain more to me, makes a bit more sense, his devotion to it, because yeah. otherwise... She's a dick. Like, I, why did you save her from blowing herself up? Like, she wasn't. She, was, she wasn't a real dick. She wasn't a full dick season, yet. Right? In the first I, season, I, she I, wasn't. I, full I had dick. no problems Not, with that. I had no, no problems with that. You liked him season. saving her. Then he res, then she resents him for saving her. Yeah. She's such a whiny mole. And yeah. then she's like, oh, I'm going to learn how to shoot a gun and shoot Daryl. Yeah, that was that was, <laughs> was infuriating. I got this one guy. She's so smug. She hasn't learned that well. She is so smug. She's so smug. And you know, that to me would have actually made more sense if they'd explored that Daryl and Andrea relationship a little bit less as just, well, I'm just a nice fatherly guy. Yeah. It's still, that oh, makes it a bit more creepy. He deserved a better death. He did deserve yeah. a better death. And it was totally Carl's fault. Totally Carl's fault. Is Carl, <laughs> I find that Carl like, maybe used to annoy me and annoys me far less. I thought... It's because he doesn't I, talk anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I thought child in a cowboy hat, that's going to get real odd real fast, but I'm kind of into it now. He just yeah. shoots things that needs to happen, like yeah. mum or... He's a doer. <laughs> he is. He's a doer, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I oh, like it. Single scariest moment in the whole show. In the whole show, by a significant margin, was when um, Laurie was like, what if the baby's stillborn and it eats its way out of my tummy? I had not thought of that. But the thing is, there's a moment in, and I'm going off topic very quickly, there's a moment in Dead Space 2 where you're wandering through, because humans get turned into different zombies, you know what I'm talking about? He walks into the nursery and there's that kind of faint ding, ding, kid music and then you hear this cry and you're like, oh my God, there's going to be crazy baby zombies and you have to shoot mutant babies. And they're crawling on the walls and stuff and their heads are backwards. But you know what's coming. So when she was pregnant and she said, if it's stillborn, you knew exactly what was going to happen. But yeah. they didn't need that to happen for it to be scary. But that would have been better. Yeah, ooh, that really would have. Yeah. Now, if you could have done anything differently in the series, what would you have changed? Glenn would have a beard. <laughs> he might not be able to grow one. I, uh, I think that My friend have... Ben always tells me that he can't grow a beard. Really? Yeah. So it's the name Ben, you reckon? No, no, no. His name's Ben, but like... <laughs> <laughs> Glenn, sorry, Glenn, Ben, sorry. Ben, sorry, no, no, no. Ben, he always has trouble growing a beard. So maybe, I mean, but also facial, I have a friend that like is obsessed with the fact that everyone's facial hair is fine on that yeah. show. How are they shaving? Like yeah. the same person that's doing the lawn. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of grooming going on. Uh-huh. 
I have a prediction for what's going to happen. Facially hair-wise? Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's got to do with that. So, um, things are getting to a uh, head between Rick and the governor. At some point, Herschel is going to reveal to Rick, and this is just a prediction, I've got nothing to base this on, that he's kept Rick's badge and uniform, and he's going to give him his badge and uniform, and Rick's going to shave his beard off, and there's going to be slow-mo of them walking down the street, and he's going to be all sheriffed up. How cool would that be? That would be, yeah. that would be kind of cool. It's a, gr- it's a grief beard. Everyone grows grief beards. You get dumped, or you lose your job. You grow a grief beard, and when the grief is over, you shave it like Owen Wilson in Royal Tenable. Hey, what, what are you so gone? sad about? Don't touch me! It's too soon! Um... But no, seriously, I think, I think the beard is going to go and he's going to get sheriffed up. That's my... You love the governor. Do you guys love the governor? Yeah. Well, I mean... I, I think you should get, say love. I think you should replace his eye with a knife. <laughs> yes. Knife! You know, a few more so he can get really close to the zombies. Yeah. Yeah. What does it say about Andrea? That the moment that she sort of goes, oh, cool, he's been keeping his zombie daughter and I see that he likes watching an aquarium full of human heads. I'm still into this guy. What can yeah. I say? Like, she's just the worst. <laughs> she's just... At the end of the last episode, I know not all of you have seen it, so I won't say it out loud, but Andrea... Moment. She, no. She, okay, I'll moment. Eh... <laughs> she just she couldn't finish it. I mean, the show would have been it would have been terrible from a narrative perspective. It would have been awesome to watch. Hey, your favourite character is Daryl. What's your favourite character? Um, and why? Oh, um, look, I know it's sort of yeah, it's such a like partial thing, but I just have such an addiction for like characters like Nishong, like just the sort of like the wanderer. I just think it's so cool. And that thing at the end of the second season, I was like, that is one of the best kind of cliffhangers. Can like, we talk about her? Because uh, why does she not talk? Why doesn't she just say, Andrea, that guy's a dick. I've seen, I've seen some stuff. Let's go. Maybe. She's been scarred. Yeah. What yeah. were those two armless, yeah. teethless zombies so about? Clearly relatives. Yeah. Relatives. I reckon. I reckon. Relatives. Do you? Weren't they oh, yeah. white? No, they're black. Oh, really? So she, I think she literally yeah. has been having her dead relatives around for a while. Yep. Would mm. tend to, you know. And then she just killed them so fast. I like the way she poignantly looks at stuff to make sure that I haven't missed it. Like, yeah. bullet hole. <laughs> <laughs> She's like a little mouse pointer mm. that the show's producers mm. use for me, but just like bulging eyes. <laughs> I want her and Mel to hook up. Her and her. <laughs> It's a joke. It's not going to happen. Oh, that her and good. who they? Mel. 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 Well, it would cross some boundaries for him. Um, <laughs> it would. All right. Well, Educational. Look. What was your favourite moment as well? I'm going to ask your favourite moment in three, the three series because one moment that I remember thinking, genius, was season one where they cut up the zombie, where they figured that zombies yeah. sort of go by smell and smeared themselves in zombie guts yeah. so they could walk amongst them. Oh, and then it starts that, raining. It's yeah. so good. Mm. That, was, like, that was the moment where I was like, yes, this show is yeah. genius. And I'm not a zombie person, but I, I made know. me think, would, yeah. I, would I do that? Would I do that? I think I've got a few favourite moments, but two of them are one... The second season when it's revealed that all the relatives are in the barn, the zombie relatives, they all come out. Mm. Uh, and season three, where in the first episode, when we first see them and they've just become these kind of killing machines. Mm. And it's like, bang, through the head, bang, bang. Mm. I like that. You did like yeah. that. It's making you think about Zealand and Detroit, yeah, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> it's another trip over there. Um, I'm a real sucker for the like, uh, second part of the final episode of the first season and just that sort of countdown within the sort of the safe haven. And then they're like, I guess because it's that real sense of like, what are we surviving for? And it was the first time that question was really mm. asked and that like, that it is a perfectly legitimate 
they had an opportunity to check out. Like, and it was going to be the easy option. And especially given what you then found out at the end of the second season about the fact that everyone was infected and everyone from here on in will become a zombie no matter how they die. Like, it was mm. just that, that was a real kind of choice. And you just went, well, yeah, it's not a necessary... Like, survival isn't necessary. Like, you might want to go out. Like, and I just thought that was a really kind of potent mm. sort of idea to be thrown around. Do you know why Andrea was so cranky at Dale f- uh, for saving her when there are so many guns around? Mm. Like, just do it yourself. <laughs> just, it just seems very guess, lazy. But I guess her. that's a very lazy. <laughs> it's, just, it's not a can-do attitude. What but, about you, Paul? Yeah. Uh, mine would be the Sophia reveal from The Barn in season yeah. two. Jesus Christ. I, you know when you occasionally lose control of your bodily functions? I'm not saying I like pooed everywhere. I'm saying like, I, I didn't know I was crying until halfway through the cry. Like I was just like, Did I found myself cry? sobbing very violently. Did you? Because Daryl was just like, Daryl, find her. here's a flower, I'm going to find her. And then you got an arrow through his leg and landed his shoulder in the face. But then, that beautiful shoulder. <laughs> but then this like, this shit storm, which is already very stressful. Like watching, like, watching Herschel just freaking out and everyone's shooting. And then this girl wanders out. And I think they framed her from the back and you knew. You mm. just knew. And that was really... I had to take a week off the show after that. And I was watching, I was watching uh, posthumously, so I'd, like... Um, I was watching, you know, when you have, like, every episode, and you binge? Mm. I stopped my binge for a full week, and I was angry at the show, but I wanted it. You know, it was, like, it was really stressful. <laughs> it was really awesome. It was, just, it was just awesome. Oh, and also the, um, the moment in, the, in episode 10, where Rick is pinned to the fence, and this arrow just pierces the zombie's skull and gets pulled out again. You're like... Daryl's back. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to ask you who your favourite character is. Favourite character? I mean, I like Rick and I love the governor. I'm sorry, there's something wrong so, with me. So why do you, do you think the governor is, is a, I guess, a legitimate and believable option in that kind of scenario, the apocalypse it's, scenario? It's that kind of psychotic... He's like the devil, you know, everybody... He, the whole thing about you love the bad guy. I think because he presses everyone's buttons and he pushes people to the limits. Mm. But he's so good and sly about he's it so, as well. Like, yeah. He's got this annoying chubby face that I want to stab. Because <laughs> he played... Do you he, that's what they cast for? Yeah. Like, we need an annoying chubby face. You are perfect. people want to stab. No, no, it's not that. It's like he was also... I also had weird predisposed feelings towards the actor because he played... Um, kind of played the Doctor in a Christmas special. So I've have... He's like a Doctor Who guy for me. So I saw him and went, Oh, it's the... What are you doing, Doctor? <laughs> you know? But yeah, the guy, I, I love the governor. He's a great character. He's a necessary character. He's when necessary. That sense. For some reason, I first thought there was a Walking Dead Christmas special. <laughs> what would that involve? <laughs> undead Santa Clauses, department store Santas, of all just enough. eating children. Yeah. Well, look. On that note, I've, I've asked a lot of questions, but do any of you guys in the audience have some questions that you'd like to ask the panel this evening? Ooh. Did I ask everything? <laughs> and covered. Uh, or do, yes. Awesome. Thank God. Thank um, just like. Where do you Every season's had a really clear kind of colour palette and thematic kind of like a setting. Like the first one was just running through the city. It was very bluey. The second one was like in the, in the, in the country and was very golden. And the new one is kind of dark greens and saturated greys of the prison. I reckon the next place to go is Haunted Amusement Park. <laughs> I literally don't know. Like I'm thinking that there's got to be some other thing. I, I, maybe something that unifies the town and ricks people before they can get... Maybe the army... Maybe the military does yeah. like a sweep. Maybe um, France is okay and we go to France. I don't know. Like, yeah. What else can they do? I haven't read enough of the comics to have a real pool of 
what could what could be done. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I don't know. Like, the comics, uh, is that a contained thing? The comics have finished, have they? Or is no, it still, got, still going? going. They're still going. going. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't, like, I've got the same sort of thing. Right? It's really hard to tell because there's, like, obviously that sense of escalation. You feel like at some point they're going to have to... Well, I mean, you hope that it doesn't kind of hit Lost Syndrome, where it just is sort of like noodling on for so long, then it has to come to an end, an end and then it's just like, watch yeah. the resolution. Like, you know, it was all a dream. We're at Grandma's no. house. Like, you know, it's just, um, yeah, I don't know, it's really interesting. Was that the end of Lost? I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> no, well. They were in a church. Oh, you yeah, know it's got to end with, with, with uh, is it Morgan? Yeah, they've got. To, he's got to get a call from Morgan. I reckon that's how it's got to end with him finding and saving Morgan. Just don't do a thing where you have like twenty years later when they're all old, and don't cut a thousand <laughs> years later. on platform nine and three quarters. Yeah, <laughs> just just so many shows end badly, and I love this show, and I don't want it to trail off. Like mm. shows inevitably are the trail off. Get, uh, the best endings are like Deadwood and Twin Peaks because it got cancelled at their peak. Yeah, I feel. I think the thing is, presumably you have to escalate, and so you assume <laughs> that in this season. Like, the governor, Rick thing, this town will be resolved one way or the other. Probably mm. in it getting burnt to the ground in an orgy of violence and zombies. So, next one. It's like, it has to be an escalation. They so, have to involve, I, I reckon they have to involve the military yeah. and some mad scientist. Yeah. And they're going to discover more about the virus. Yeah, right? made virus. yeah I think that's yeah. the next thing. Because like, I'm getting to that point already where I, like, I'm starting to crave Why answers. Why are they asking questions? Mm. What happened to us? Yeah. Well, am I right in, in saying that in the comic books, it's made very clear that it's not a virus, it's some kind of supernatural thing? Any comic book people can back that up? It doesn't, feel... doesn't say anything. Mm. It's the unknown. Mm. When does it go to you for every comic book question? <laughs> um, Come up, have a seat. <laughs> have a seat, yeah. Uh, any other questions? Yes. Because yeah. that was a scene in uh, season two where Laurie questions her, why is she not doing the woman stuff? Oh, God, Laurie, Laurie sucked. <laughs> Did, does Laurie suck more than Andrea? Well, I liked Laurie more than Andrea. Andrea's bringing up some valid points, you're right. Mm. Like, in the newer season, she actually goes, I kind of like killing zombies. And I'm like, yeah, this is weird, because you're in an environment where you're actually allowed to kill stuff. Mm. And that... that is a good way to release tension, mm. I assume. And it's kind of guilt-free killing. And then she raised the issue of that. And then she was like, why can't women shoot? In fact, I think it was her doing that they were actually shooting classes at all. Mm. Even the first half of season three, it's the build-up between Michonne and the governor. Yeah. They mm. have this awesome fight scene. Yeah. And he's like, this should be my nemesis now. Oh, this guy Rick, who's crazy and wanders in the bush. Not Michonne. Yeah. yeah. Nothing to him, but it's yeah. all about him and Rick, but it's two shouts standing off against each other. Yeah. You're right. They need, they need a, a stronger female. Or bring Michonne to the, the foreground a bit more. Yeah. Well, the next step, she's apparently pretty foreground. Mm. Hopefully they make a... They, you know, she needs to be a leader, god damn yeah. it. Yeah. She needs to say yeah, something then. Yeah, she's got to speak <laughs> up a little bit, hey? <laughs> I know. Okay, I think she wants us to go to the other room. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, she's angry again. <laughs> Is she or is she just hungry? I can never tell. <laughs> Um, no, I think that's uh, that's a really good point, and I don't think that my irritation in Andrea came from her wanting to, you know, not not work with the others. It, like, you know, that I wanted her just to be doing the laundry. Just like even in doing something cool, like shooting the guns at zombies, she was still annoying. Like, yeah. that's an amazing twist. Yeah. She's the, she's the Joffrey of this show. Yeah, we were saying that at the, <laughs> in the cafe. She's really the Joff, Joffrey mm. of the show, but. Yeah, I, I think that it, it's it's probably would be great for the show 
to do that. I'm wondering if they're trying to say that, like, maybe in a time of great stress, do we go back to somehow these really mm. basic, primal roles of what men and women do? Is that what the show's yeah. trying to tell us? If that's what they did, and if Andrea is raising valid points but still being annoying, it's a combination of her as an actress, yeah. I hate to say it, or just the showrunner's dropping the ball a bit, because mm. she is raising very valid points, and in the comic... Apparently, she's like this awesome character yeah. of a sniper who people actually like, right? Yeah. She's liked. Mm. So what the hell happened? But as you say, she also makes dumbass decisions mm. in, in the TV series when she shoots poor old Daryl. It's like, but I'm a woman and I can shoot a gun. This is what happens when women get what they want. <laughs> Daryl gets shot. Well, she be, she be, she's going to sort of become a little bit of a leader. Oh, of... With that shitty speech she gave? Well, it's just like... She's the worst. Like a snake oil salesman. It's just like... Right, you who could, you could, they got good writers, but that, I mean that's a terrible scene. That's yeah. clearly a terrible, terrible scene. It's not yeah. believable. Like it's <laughs> it's just like cliched line after mm. cliched line. And there is such a great potential. I actually don't. I, I don't hate the actress because I don't know yeah. the actress. But there is just something about that character that that there's so many opportunities for her to hit a certain mark, and mm. they just never nail it. And yeah. I, and I don't know why that is. Well, but I mean, I, like, don't you think we're meant to be critical of her though? Because I think that's built into it. Mm. We're, ah. we're criticising the fact that she's still with him and, um, and that she doesn't sort of knife him. And, and, you know. But, I mean, like, there's, a, there's a point um, towards the end of like, season three of Battlestar where Baltar's on trial and... Walking Leod- dead. No, no, no. Oh, <laughs> so Lee Adama has been pissing you off for a couple of episodes because he's decided to defend Baltar in court. And he gets up and he gives the most legitimately amazing speech where he's like, don't be friggin' hypocrites. Like, you, you just want to hurt someone. You're just angry at someone. He gives this great speech and it redeems that character and it, redeems, it makes that whole arc work in just, like, one speech. This show has excellent writers who can mm. write very good dialogue. I feel like they're phoning in Andrea. I feel like you are meant to go with Andrea. She's actually asking the hard questions. Yeah. Sure, she's making mistakes, but like mm. she's meant to be a conflicted character. I don't think they know that people hate her this much. Mm. And like maybe that speech was just uh, like a bone to throw at the people who hate her to go, look, see, she's not all bad. I don't know. Yeah. I just want to like her. I feel like maybe we are meant to feel conflicted about her, but... I just, I just don't. Yeah. I just really just dislike her a lot. Yeah. Anyway, but you've raised a really valid point and probably one that I hadn't really thought about as much. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Why yeah. do you no, love no, Andrea right, so much? Right. Yeah, what's wrong with you? Security. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any more questions? Oh, wow, there's more. Uh, I guess uh, I'm just asking whether you guys are aware of any other examples of, um, I suppose, zombie pieces that continue. It seems to me that it's probably the first one that... Uh, yeah well as you were saying earlier Angela this is probably the first television show which mm. is where you're not yeah. getting the ending mm. yeah well I mean I, I as I said before I'm not I'm no zombie expert at all this mm. is the first time I've really dipped my toe in that that bloody water so Angela I mean, <laughs> the, the, the only example is um, the comic book series mm. how, about, how about that do you ever see that um there's a BBC series called Dead Set. There was yeah. Dead Set. Oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, Dead Set. That was the first one. That's yeah. the one that's um, it's sort of like they're in Big Brother, Big Brother yeah. House. That's about a four. Is it a four, <laughs> four episodes part series yeah. or something? Oh, six, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fairly short. Yeah, but it's not, short, not but continuing. Still have an end where yeah. I guess is where yeah. we're going with yeah. this is that there is no sort of visible yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think this would probably be the other one that I'm aware of because mm. you know it's, it's. I was amazed that the series sort of they got the green light for it because you sort of think how how can you sustain um, a TV series and hopefully through a four series mm. uh, with the zombie attack. It's like, yeah, they attack and 
Mm. You survive or you probably you all die because that's how, what happens in zombie yeah. films. Yeah. The end. Now, why aren't there zombie animals in the show? Seriously. Human-only virus? I don't know. Like, I, like, I, I mean, they feast do on... We, have we seen any animals? Oh, there's that horse in the second episode. They went to town on that. They seem more concerned <laughs> with eating it rather than, cool like, yeah, bringing it like, back to life. Zombies on zombie horses. That was horses. a horror. That was oh, one of my best... Oh, mounted friends. zombies. Yeah. Uh, There's just a question for you. <laughs> if you can't answer it, that's fine. I'm not going to judge you. <laughs> mounted zombies. Uh, next question? Yes. Favourite zombie killing oh, scene. Oh, Daryl recently got one in the boot of a car. Oh, that was a good one. That was really good. It was just one clean emphatic with that glorious arm. Bam! <laughs> oh, and uh, sorry, one more. Uh, T-Dog, as they were in the prison, just he's just sparking them in the eye. In and yeah. out, really clean. Yeah. Such mm. a good technique. Good arm. Mm, good. good. Shame. Mm. Yeah, what do we... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My dad, whilst I may describe him as perfect, he is not... He sounds a little bit like a your dad heckle from your dad. <laughs> your dad's such a great cop that he couldn't do the shut up. <laughs> um, I don't know, but I, actually, no, I'm not sure about the zombie one, but one of my favourite death scenes in the whole thing was just so goddamn badass. I mean, definitely like Rick's sort of starting to tumble over the dark side, but in the second episode of the third season, when they sort of meet up with the other prison guards and they're oh, fighting their way yeah. through it, in, and the yeah. guy tries to like take him out, and then Rick just sort of goes like, you yeah, know, we don't have a... And just like just boom, boom, <laughs> straight through the head, and you know, that was a good, healthy skull. Like, there was resistance, but it was very satisfying. Yeah. Oh, I think, yeah. The saloon it was, it yeah. was those first episodes for me too. I think somebody has a hammer, yeah. and it just goes kapow right through, and you can mm. just hear it... <laughs> <laughs> and there's suction as it comes out. Oh, and Glenn had a fun. Oh, they love those suction like noises the suction and the noises, little yeah. burst of blood that yeah. comes out. Oh, they're like, how you going over there, Jess? <laughs> All right. I don't, I don't know how I watch this show. There's so much violence. I think like it, it just, I'm numb to the violence in this. I actually don't really... If you ask me to single out a kill, I'm like, Meh, I don't know, I just remember a lot of blood, yeah. maybe a lot of this action and going I, on. I can't pick I'm weird with one. it as well because I'm really bad with horror generally and I hate gore. Like... Anything torture pornish, like I just mm. can't deal with it. I hate human suffering. And this show, I am fine. Yeah, I am just totally. What okay about with the it, zombie like... in the well? Oh, that was oh, awesome. That, that was good. Oh, That's oh. gross. <laughs> I think what I remember most though is like when there's that dangerous human element. I find that more memorable. The zombies yeah. seem to me they're just a massive, just a herd of yeah. nothing. I mean, yeah. they're not really ever attached to a character unless you know they're someone that we know. Yeah, but. That scene just in the saloon where they realised that the guys that had come in were just really bad guys and then they were left from with that. Jersey, they from Jersey, From <laughs> Jersey. But they're left with this really kind of Jersey. human... Like, I guess in a world where you're sort of fighting for humanity, realising yeah. that, that these guys had kind of lost theirs and, and, and it's a really brutal choice of like, well, it's, it's not as clear-cut and easy as, mm. well, they're zombies so I can kill them. So that, mm. to me, is a way more yeah. memorable kill mm. than any other zombie yeah. kill. And but it was also... And also, I was just going to say, they've upped that so much in this kind of, like, third season, even in the early stages as well. It just, like, suddenly that hostility and he's like that six months in the winter's just hardened them so much and just that immediate mm. like suspicion and mm. hostility that's everywhere. exactly like, like you just said you're now dead into the violence that's mm. exactly what happened to them over the winter mm. like they now don't see it as like they're not looking at zombies going oh my god you used to be a real human they're just like animal 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 mm. like it's just, a, it's just a means of surviving now mm. well, I've probably got time for about two more questions so we'll go you then you yeah you yeah I should have called it Hope. Forward, <laughs> no, Judith is way better. <laughs> Judith. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's 
<laughs> so is this like, what would you do with the crying baby in the zombie apocalypse? <laughs> would, you, would you A, comfort it, B, give it to Daryl, C, zombie bait. Uh, I would, I don't know, I've always wanted a daughter. I was a teacher about Woody Allen films and jazz, but there's none of that in the apocalypse. Um, I don't know, it's really, it really it's, it's a hard I thing. think it does symbolise that, like, that fundamental tenet of humanity, and it's like, what is it that separates us from... The zombies, like, you know, we have to at some point, like, as desperate for survival as we are, like, there has to be, you mm. know, these limits. There's got to be things that we cling to. And, like, childbirth is it's probably life. one thing we have it over is the life. zombies. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's like the... And it, I guess that's so bundled into survival anyway. Yeah. We'll like, build an army really slowly. <laughs> <laughs> I have a theory. I have I know, five years. T- yeah. Two to eight hours for the zombies, nine months for the humans. I have a theory humans. that the baby is going to be carrying some gene. Mm. If, oh. the, if the series uh, survives... Yeah. And the kid grows up and they find a mad scientist and they test her blood. And some, but, maybe, but maybe it'll be like the only baby that's been born during the zombie apocalypse. Maybe. Oh, the only one that maybe. Terrible idea. What if it's like Mad Max 2 and the whole story is being told from the perspective of the baby? And yeah. that's how my dad saved America. Um, <laughs> what I think is that the, that, um, the governor mm. uh, is going to... He doesn't know that there's a little girl there. And he's got daughter, daddy stuff going on. So maybe when he finds that out, that is what will save them. Maybe. Maybe. Yes. Look like he'll, Rick will come out and say, Look at my baby girl. You're like, don't shoot. I have, don't a, I have a That was grenade. your Rick impersonation. <laughs> yeah, look at my, my, my baby, baby girl. girl. Yeah, that's right. I'm a Rick. <laughs> <laughs> or Daryl will come out holding the baby and Rick will give the speech. Mm. Yeah. Or they could just distract him with the baby and someone shoots him in the head. Yeah. That's I how like you it. do it. That's, yeah. uh, yes. <laughs> distract with the baby. <laughs> look what I got. <laughs> yeah. And how do you keep value in the characters if everyone's expendable? I think you just introduce characters by having them find a new room in the prison, apparently. <laughs> hey, it's, it's a good car. place. Hey, it's <laughs> a cake and poppy room. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. God, they're all zombies. <laughs> zombie <laughs> cakes. Zombie cakes, zombie puppies. I feel like what's going to happen is they are now going to... Because seeing a town that is functioning perfectly that has, like, kind of cracks of discord and stuff... There's no, it's I like think Pleasantville next, all over again. Like, yeah. The next thing you know, it's going to be a city. And then it's yeah, going to be yeah. like an entire country. And then it's just going to be about life returning to normalcy. I think the last season might be like returning to life as we know it when there's just occasionally zombies and now just something we deal with on the outer city limits. I don't know. But that's sort of like a slow fade down and they'll have to go out in a climactic nah, fashion. You can't. Right? You can't. You're wrong. You're we, wrong. Need like a de- we need like the, the zombie they, equivalent they, of like they a death to- star, like a big fat zombie. And he drives a jeep right into its butt and kills it. And then it's over. <laughs> this is how I would write the show. <laughs> Tell us about your screenwriting credits again. Well, yeah. Steampunks is a hell of a children's show. Yeah. It would have to be a Hyundai. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't, sorry, made no sense. That's how it's going to end. There the cow go. catcher. You're, you'll be driving it. Yeah, that'll be me. Mm. How, I mean, how do, you, how do you see it ending? I think we will find out more about what's going on. But the thing is, this is classic cable TV. You kill off main characters. Mm. It just doesn't matter. Um, and you can swear and show your boobs while you do it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Have there been any boobs in the show? Like, they took Herschel and the daughter and they yeah. became part of that core and we're far enough into season three that I'm surprised we haven't kept it. Yeah. Do you, do you find it, un, like, un, 
unfeasible that Ricky's so shut, shut down to accepting new people? Like, I guess that there, there's got to be this healthy balance of, of yeah. having a strong enough crew to survive while also not having too big a crew because then you have trust issues and power mm-hmm. issues and, you know, it's such a human thing to sort of get distracted yeah. by that when you should be really dealing with the enemy outside, mm. not the enemy yeah. within. It was really stressful watching those new people arrive recently mm. and then he, he flipped out and I was like, oh, they'll just go and hide for a while and then they go and head across to the town because of friggin' Andrea. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, go, it's fine, it's fine. In no way is that going to pan out badly for you. That's right, because I was thinking, yeah, keep them, keep them. He's the nice guy from The Wire. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> they sent them off. The they sent them off. No, because 50% of that crew is homicidal, mm. remember? Yeah. Mm. Um, I was going to say, yeah, because Laurie was the first character that I sort of really, like, when they went, I just went, oh, shit. Like, you know, prior to that, like, you know, I, I just realised that as much as I really enjoyed this show, like, I hadn't gotten to that really, like, human point. I mean, Shannon's a bit of a shock, but you kind of knew it was coming. Like, Laurie was the first one that mm. properly I was about to drop a Game of Thrones spoiler, but I won't. Um, even though everyone must know it by now, you know what I'm talking about. That was the first one I just said that. <laughs> Oh, God. Like, you know, one oh. of those characters that you would fold it into the permanent narrative. Okay. See, I did the Whistle Laurie. I did the, oh, God, thank God they killed her <laughs> off. Like, <laughs> like, I guess it was like, you know, it wasn't as sympathetic as the yeah. one that I won't name. But, um, oh, yeah. yeah, you know. I just thought you meant, like, the sex scene. But, um, <laughs> I don't know. Someone died. that did make me gasp in Wait, Game of Thrones. What sex scene? Between the brother and the sister. Oh, my God. That's why I just did this at Luke like a tree. <laughs> I didn't see that. Wait, wait. Two fingers? The universal sign is one finger. <laughs> Insert yeah, it is. Yes. One finger. Two uh, fingers yeah, is ambitious. Really? You've been doing it wrong all these years. Yeah. 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 You've been using your two penises. They're Hoven star. <laughs> Uh, sorry, to take that down about 8,000 notches. Back but, to where but, you were. Yeah, but, uh, but I now sort of wonder, like, what of the characters that are still around that, like... And, you know, even the, with introducing new characters, anyone that gets introduced is, going, is probably still, in my head, going to be cheap life. But, mm. Laurie, like, the, it's usually only the ones that have been there from the start that have been pivotal characters from the start that you kind of go, definitely not going to kill them off. Like, but, yes, yeah, so I don't know, like, mm. how many more of those they've got, like, in the it show. better not hurt Glenn. Yeah. Uh, they did, so they much. did. Do you remember they, they hurt him bad? Yeah, that scene where he pulled the bone out of the arm and st- st- that was all. That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> that was not cool. <laughs> that was hardcore. Anyway. Okay, well, on, on that note, they better not hurt Glenn. Yeah. I think we'll probably leave it there tonight. Um, I'd like you all to give a round of applause to our panel. We have Angela Dalians, uh, Luke Ryan, and Paul Verhoeven. Dalianis, got it. Uh, I'm Jess McGuire. Thanks for coming. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings of talks and live events, go to Acme Channel and the Acme website.